0: This is Coda Radio, episode 513 for April 10th, 2023. Hey, friends, welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and with his eye on the tech, it's our host, Mr. Dominic.
1: Hello, Mike what's up happy uh ham hangover day you sound mostly healthy you sound I'm getting pretty good better. i'm healing yeah. rapidly good job
0: you're getting over this faster than ever now
1: i think it's all the red meat it's yeah. um, you know what yesterday it was pork but let me tell you a little too much Ooh, a little yeah. Yeah, i woke up groggy it's like oh my god it's so much ham the ham hangover Yep, it's real yeah it is real
0: yeah well uh well, you were enjoying uh the easter festivities here it in my local Alderwood Apple Store, the first Apple Store to open up in Washington State, at least in my area, one that I even stood in line outside in my robe for once because that was the thing people did back in the day, Nice has had a tragic, tragic robbery. And the burglars stole $500,000 worth of gear after tunneling through an adjacent store bathroom. This really happened at the Alderwood Mall here in the Pacific Northwest in Linwood, Washington. They got 400 different devices um and somehow they managed to dig through a na- like it was like a coffee shop or something. Yeah, Seattle Coffee. Hmm. Um yeah. Yeah, they dug through Seattle. <laughs> Can you believe that? I believe <laughs> they get <got> in there. It's <laughs> amazing. 436 iPhones were taken through a hole in a bathroom. And the thing is is The holes, I absolutely could not fit through this hole, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) I could not. Maybe my kids could fit. It's not a big hole, Mike. I mean, because it's right next to a turlet. So you can see, you know, for size comparison, you know, your average retail turlet and this hole in the wall that's about the size of a doggy door. (laughs)
1: Well, you know, it's good that they know how to tunnel because I feel like they're very soon going to very much need that.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, this is maybe going to be a theme of the signs. That, yeah, this is uh, this is a theme. Definitely, a, it's a sign of things to come, but of what, I'm not so sure. Maybe we could discuss it at a Jupiter Broadcasting meetup, jupiterbroadcastingcom slash meetup. Quick shout out. We have one coming up at the end of the month in Olympia. I have been having a lot of fun with VS Code, and I just wanted to share it with the class real quick because i know none of this is going to be new or shocking to anybody but i've been using vs code for more and more things and one of the things i really liked when i was on the mac was this app that was a little bit overkill but it was called text expander i'm not sure if you have ever tried yep. text expander yep yep really handy for just creating quick codes combos you can do on your keyboard and then it'll input a large chunk of whatever you want and it can have variables in there and it can have some code interpretation. So it's really powerful and it's fantastic. If you're for me, like working with a lot of emails, um, creating a lot of show docs, it's just nice to have these kind of text expanders as they call them to just boom, pop out a, a block of code or so whatever, like for a format of a doc and markdown, whatever I might need. Hmm. And uh, there are, there are ways with pros and cons of doing this on windows and Linux. But I realized that I'm now using VS Code on all the platforms I might use anyways. And there's not really a great solution on Linux. So I decided to, just over the last week, to just go all in on VS Code snippets. And it's actually really, really nice. And I have in the show notes a link to a VS Code snippet generator. So you can put what you want in one column, you know, what you're trying to get in the snippet. And it will generate the JSON necessary that you can just go paste in your snippets file. Oh, wow. And that, yeah, it's really quick. And the uh, result is, like, I have now a whole series of quick doc snippets and whatnot that I can use to create different sections or replies to emails in VS Code. And I, I, I really should have embraced the snippets power power user feature earlier. I just I, I didn't really feel like learning the format required. Now, the other thing I've done, and I'll link this in the notes, this is really handy, too, is it's a a snippet generator extension. So it'll take whatever you currently have in VS Code, and you highlight that, and then with the command palette, you tell it to generate a snippet from what you have in VS Code right now. It'll ask you for what you want to name it and stuff like that. Then it'll generate the snippet code for you, and then you go put that in your snippets file. And it's really quick. It's really simple. And when you got something like, oh, this would make a great template or a great snippet, you can capture that in like 10 seconds. And so I'll put a link to all that in the notes. Coder.show slash 513. Um, because I've just started playing around with it, and I know again a lot of people are going to know about this, but for me, sometimes it takes a while for me to decide, all right, I'm going to go all in on this feature. And then the beautiful thing is, as you probably guessed, is if you have VS Code syncing turned on, yep, yeah, it syncs those snippets across all your machines. Love that. So I'm trapped forever, I think it's just. <laughs> I think this is me just deciding I'm never giving up VS code. I think that's what I just did. Never going to give you. Up. It took me a long time. And I admit part of it was Microsoft. Part of it was electron. Hmm. I just, I was like, I want to, I want to, I want to get, I want to make Kate work for on plasma, or I just want to make some native text editor. Like, maybe like if I'm on the Mac, BB edit, something like that. But you can't beat the plugin ecosystem, the extension ecosystem with VS code. And then, you combine that with the fact that I stood up a VS Code web server on my tailnet. Right. So now I have a persistent VS Code URL that I can hit that gives me Visual Studio Code, most of my extensions in a web UI. And I've set it up so I can access some of my Nextcloud files, like my, my, my documents and notes directory, inside that VS Code web instance so I have VS code anywhere in the world that I have tail scale now. And then I also have VS code installed on all my machines. Like, how do you beat that? Like, it's just like, there's, it, it, and then you combine it with the extensions. Um, like it's made Joplin so much more doable for me because Joplin's UI it's, Joplin's kind of like a great Evernote killer, except for the UI is dog slow for me for some reason. But you grab the Joplin VS code extension. And now I'm using VS code to edit all my notes in Joplin. And it's, It's great because I already have it running, and it's right there, and it just integrates with the file browser. So uh, this is the week I announce I've officially committed to a long-term relationship with VS Code. I mean, I've been flirting on and off for years. I really have. We've been pretty serious. We even moved in together, but uh, we're actually tying the knot. So over this last week, I snuck off, eloped, got myself hitched to VS Code. I'm all in now because I've got all these snippets, and I'm syncing them, and I got the web instance.
1: I love it. Resistance was always futile. It was.
0: You know, the VS Code empire is, uh, well, it's just strong, you know, and it's, it, I can't deny it. It's got great resources. And um, so if you haven't set up a VS Code web instance, but you're, you know, anybody out there that's just kind of comfortable with Docker Compose, it's really straightforward. You can get it going in no time. Uh, those of you who know me won't be surprised. I just went over to the Linux server IO fleet and grab their instance cuz i already run some of their other containers but they got a docker compose that's ready to go fires it right up and you got VS code in your web browser you put that on your tailnet you're cooking with gas or you put it like up on a linode you got VS code with your own personal extensions sync to your stuff anywhere in the world how do you beat that <laughs> Linode.com slash Coder. Go there right now to get $100 and 60-day credit on a new account, and it's a great way to support the show, keep production going, and check out fast, reliable cloud hosting built for developers. Try it for your next project. Try it for something you've wanted to just learn and explore. It's what we use for everything we've deployed since we've gone independent. And Linode has rolled out beautiful, sweet, fantastic, wonderful upgrades. I mean, I'm talking NVMe disk. I'm talking better processors. And I'm talking making it easy to upgrade even more infrastructure when you need it by just a push of a button. So if you're a performance hound, Linode's definitely got it. If you need something that's straightforward, that can just get up and going, like a GitLab instance or a Zoom replacement or, you know, maybe just an engine Xbox that you can set up with, with their awesome DNS manager. Linode does all of that, and they do it so well that it just gets out of your way. Anyone on our team can manage our Linode systems, the whole range, because everybody, it just works for everybody that, you know, some of us, we use a command line interface. Some of us use the web interface. And then, you know, some of us like Wes, I I think they just kind of connect to it mentally through some sort of distant mind meld. I'm not really sure. But Linode's been doing this for nearly 19 years, making the best product possible and surviving in a very dynamic market. And if you're a Python fan and you're going to PyCon US, Linode's going to be there. April 19th through the 27th in Salt Lake City. They're going to be at booth 429. Go tell them Jupiter Broadcasting sent you and go say hi. PyCon, huh? Man, I wish I could go. Go in my place, will you? And go say hi to Linode for me. Or you can go from wherever you are. At. Just go to linode.com slash coder. Try it for real, get the $100, and support the show. That's linode.com slash coder. All right, so the news is in for Q1, and it's bad for Apple. Apple's Macintosh shipments have fallen more than 40%, worse than every other PC manufacturer. It's not great, but yeah. They're like, uh, Dell's down 30%, Lenovo's down 30%, HP's down 24%, Asus is down 30%, but Apple, Apple's down 40% in shipments.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, some of that might be that the M1 sold super well too, but... It's, uh, you know, they're expensive, right? And it's sign of the times. I think that's it. I mean, when you have a number this big, it's not one thing. Right. So it is,
0: um, we're kind of at the kind of tail end of the current M series, with the exception of a couple of the M2s. And you got to figure, there was a big buying spree during the work from home transition. Yes, yes. P- people are set for a while. And so that's playing a factor. And then I think it's, you're also right. The recession is beginning my friends. If you know, I just was watching on CNBC this morning. They're all debating if we're going to have a recession. I don't I don't know how you get to these numbers without thinking it's likely, especially with gas prices going on the rise right now. And it's more likely than not that the Fed will increase by another 25 basis points. And we're going to get inflation data between when we're recording and when this episode comes out, so it's hard to say, but I have speculated for a while that Apple is going to get punished the most economically in this new economic reality. Now right now Apple is looking like the king because they're doing just a few layoffs, you know, they just announced they're going to do a few layoffs. They're doing the least amount of layoffs and Wall Street loves that because it shows the discipline that Apple displayed by not overhiring. Well, they just they just demonstrated quasi best business practices is what they did. But the reality is they sell luxury devices. They sell they sell $1200 phones and $2000 laptops. And when Apple suffers, an ecosystem of accessory makers and component makers suffer. And so TSMC just announced that they are missing their sales target for the second straight quarter. They cite tepid demand. They say both chip and memory shipments and sales are down. Obviously, Apple is one of their largest customers with the iPhone being one of their largest products. And Apple has halted production on some of those devices. Another ominous sign. And uh, TSMC cites rising interest rates, a surge in inflation, and an ongoing banking crisis that is denting consumer sentiment. (laughs) It's dented.
1: It's dented. Yeah. Just a fender bender. (laughs) Also,
0: yeah. You know, maybe a Fed that's actively working to get unemployment up to 5%.
1: Listen, Jay Powell (laughs) has not seen a job he didn't want eliminated so far. Here's my thinking. You ready? Go ahead. App developers are Developers who
0: focus on apps for mobile platforms are I'm thinking of like the Marcos and the others out there, these indie developers who live and breathe on these app stores. They're done because not only is the money tight and the interest rates going up and the terminal rate to get money going up, but sales are dropping
1: dramatically. I mean, so you're talking the consumer facing dudes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the ones you actually see that make money in the app store that aren't like commercial enterprise apps related to a job.
1: Right. I mean, I think that's been the trend anyway, though, right? Like your average indie developer who's focused on the consumer has been royally forked. He's been sporked even.
0: I mean, You know, what's funny, though, is I was just uh, checking in with some of our favorites and um, they don't see it that way. They're expecting this headset to be a huge hit. They're going to make a bunch of money off of it. They're going to make a bunch of money off the next iPhone because they always make money when the Apple devices sell.
1: Yeah. That make, I mean, I'm sure they get a bump.
0: I, I believe that, right? I Yeah. Previously. Who's going to buy a $2,000 headset and a $1,200 iPhone in the middle of a recession in the fall? I would like to tell you that I'm not, and I'm probably not in this case. They'd really have to knock it out of the park, right? Do you think they're really coming out with this headset? I think if they don't and they don't knock it out of the park, Apple's going to be on a decline for years. And I've never said that. What what does knocking it out of the park look like? I mean, it's got to be a device that you and I come on here and eat our hat and go, you know what? Yeah, we're going to buy one of these. That's like, it's got to meet that bar. It's got to. Well, that happened
1: once, right? I ate my hat on the watch because the health tracking stuff, I use it every day.
0: I mean, they got us with the M processors, too. They did a pretty good job there, but that's a whole different kind of category.
1: It looks it looks like something my grandma would wear because she doesn't like light when she sleeps. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) here's my question, Mike, because you could see how Apple
0: Fitness could play into a headset. But how does a program? Like Apple Fitness, where they own warehouses that they've converted into yoga studios and all these fitness research divisions that they have with hundreds and hundreds of employees for to run Apple Fitness and the watch stuff. And Apple TV, which was made possible by Easy Money and $10,000 Mac Pros. How does any of that exist in the next few years? None of that. It feels like you got to cut... Like we may be looking in a in a future in a couple of years where Apple TV is a, basically a dead project. Oh, don't say that.
1: Something's got to give. Don't say that. I love my Apple TV.
0: I actually think they're doing pretty good show wise too. So I, I, I don't know, man, maybe they could get some success there. It's just I don't know if they I don't know if they did a services transition fast enough. And that's what we're about to watch is did they transition to
1: services enough to survive this? Well, well hang on, hang on, hang on. It's just we got to go back to the headset cuz I this is not me, you know, playing the, the straw man here i honestly don't get what this thing would be for at the price point like i get the oculus because it's like 200 bucks or whatever and you know what everybody wants to fight darth vader it's fun it's cool beat Saber's fun i think tim cook told us recently actually okay in an interview
0: what did he say it's for communication it's for it's for collaboration and communication so maybe they've cooked up some sort of fancy facetime vr Uh, which means you'd have to have another $2,000 headset to talk to somebody.
1: I was going to say, so what are they, they're going to sell like enterprise, uh, enterprise bundles. You could buy like six of them.
0: Well, I mean, they sell $2,000 MacBooks to enterprises all day. Right. So, I mean, not right now, but the,
1: the 2000, (laughs) that was, that was, that was (laughs) too soon. (laughs) The $2,000 MacBook is a pretty easy investment with an obvious return, right? And you got you got to give Apple one thing; they're still good about their support. You go to the Apple store; they usually help you out. Something's fuck you know messed up. But I just I don't know. I mean, maybe you know I'm going to be traveling during WWDC, unfortunately this year. But not that I would go anyway. But it's I have never been less excited about a WWDC upcoming, and I think that's what we're really talking about when we say the headset, right? Because presumably, if they're releasing this this uh, peripheral. They're going to have to have a whole like I know they have AR kit and reality kit and all that stuff, but it's not where it needs to be to be a. I agree. I I see these headsets and these VR
0: things as the same kind of hype bubble that uh, Web3 was. They threw a bunch of money at it. They never really got to a product. They never really demonstrated market potential. And it was a result of just, hey, let's go. We got infinite growth going. We're making tons of money. We're selling stuff. People are buying whatever we make, including $300 speakers. Let's just go, boys. People are buying ceramic watches. Let's make a headset. that's $2,000. People are buying MacBooks that are more than that. Let's do it. And, you know, they'll probably put some serious hardware behind it to justify that price. I have no doubt it'll probably have an M series chip in there and it'll be powerful. But um, I think it is the product of a different era and a different mindset. The one that is currently sunsetting, but for some areas, like our buddies that I've talked to recently that don't see the App Store bubble bursting and the folks that are making headsets like this, they're still thinking in the old world where it was game on, we're all making money, let's go, 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 infinite growth. And they haven't transitioned to a scarcity mindset and a harsher reality that consumers aren't going to be buying nearly as much for a while. And I think that these are the types of products that you cook up when you can sell anything, and when you have to sell things based on their merits that justify their price, and you're talking more specs and techs and features and less possibilities and promise, I think it's just a different product for a different market. I don't know. I mean, we, you and I could be dramatically wrong on this one. I'm leaving room for that. I think partially because I'd like to see it. I'd like, part of me would like to see this. I, I, I would like to see this work out. Um, because the quest showed us the, I'm sorry, the Oculus showed us there is a glimmer of
1: potential here. It just really comes down to the entire execution. It comes down to the price. I mean, if, if it's three grand, that's a non-starter. Yeah. I picked
0: up a used quest. I got my quest for under 300 bucks. So that was definitely a, a factor of me being willing to try it.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't have bought one either if it wasn't like, okay, it's not that much money and I can kind of, it's a toy. Right. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, we should get off this. It's coming out in a couple months anyway, or allegedly. But I think they're screwed, man, because this is going to be
0: way too expensive. I think you're right in your analysis. Even if I think it's going to be a cool toy, I don't think it's going to sell like it should. And I think Apple is entering a, a rough period. And this is one of the reasons why I switched to Graphene OS is I think long term they turn internally to their existing user base. They just sell inward. I, I really what I worry about the most is developers because they've created such a sexy, attractive platform. But it's almost like uh, it's going to string you out and it's going to leave you empty with nothing.
1: Well, for the cost, you're talking about the headset?
0: I'm talking about anything in the Apple ecosystem now. That if you become an Apple ecosystem developer at this point, you're entering an ecosystem that's going to try to milk you for everything and milk all your users for everything. And all the incentives are turning wrong.
1: Such is life, though, right? I mean, th- th- every they're all trying to milk you. I mean, I don't know, it's... I feel like the problem with the headset is the same problem Oculus has, or whatever it's called, the Quest. And that if you are a small independent ISV and you have a sober look at what the cost, uh, both in time and capital, is to develop for these kind of platforms, it's really high. It's basically unattainable. Or if it, it, at the very least, it's a bet the company move. And do you, I just. It's a wild bet, right? Like, if, if somebody pulls it off and becomes, you know, the, the indie hit of... Uh, headsets? Headsets, more power to them. That'd be a hell of a thing. That'd be a hell of a thing, but it, you're taking a lot of risk. Yeah, it's... I don't know. I just don't believe in... I don't believe in the category at all. At least not yet. In
0: the uh, file of, boy, the whole app ecosystem is screwed up, and uh, I don't think you should touch it with a six-foot pole. It turns out, that a app developer advocacy group that does lobbying in Congress, that helps write legislation, that uh, represents multiple different companies. It's a group known as ACT, A-C-T. They swear up and down they're not beholden to Apple. But a Bloomberg report confirms that Apple pays for more than half of the funding of the ACT group. (laughs) Former employees say the actual percentage is much higher than the way the books have made it look. They brand themselves as the voice for thousands of app developers around the world. But in reality, they mostly represent Apple's view. The ACT president said in an interview that this, this assertion doesn't even, quote, pass the laugh test. But <laughs> if you look at all of their lobbying and what they push for, it's exactly what Apple lobbies for. And they even use the same language. So, like, for example, the Open App Markets Act which has been floating around right now, would loosen control over the app store, supposedly open up doors for sideloading and maybe other payment systems. Yeah, right. And it's backed by the Coalition for App Fairness. But ACT, who supposedly represents thousands of developers around the world, well, they oppose the Open App Markets app, arguing that it would threaten privacy and security of the app store, echoing Apple's talking points. And, of course, ACT has also drawn, drawn scrutiny from developers, some most famously known, like Tim Sweeney, who is the executive officer of Epic Games. He called the association, quote, Apple's fake small app developer lobby in a June tweet. I feel like that's a rare miss for Tim Sweeney. He's usually coming out hotter than that. Yeah, yeah, he didn't turn it up. And, yeah, because these guys were involved in some of the fight against Epic, too. So, yeah, you would think so. Of course, various signs in this group: AT and T, Intel, and Verizon.
1: Ah, uh, you know those those well lauded uh, small developers, AT yes. and T, Verizon, <laughs> those indies, <laughs> those those garage hackers. Yes.
0: Um a a former, a former Congress critter, when interviewed by Bloomberg, said that Act presents themselves as the quote unified voice of app developers to Congress, and that they seem to have sown a lot of confusion. And so they're going in Congress, what? pretending like they represent independent developers all around the world.
1: What? Lobbying interests align with the big player in the industry? Yeah, there's oh. gambling in this establishment. Can you believe
0: it? I don't know. I know. I know. I know. It's, it's it's unbelievable. But uh, the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because it demonstrates sort of how even these These groups who can sort of virtue signal as representing developers can get co-opted and owned. And this is sort of the way that Apple can maneuver without having to directly be the bad guy in the public spotlight. It's a real clever kind of, you know, not a subsidiary, but that same sort of move where you basically are the puppet master of another company through financing. And, uh, you know, if Apple is their largest donor, which former employees say is more than half of where their revenue comes from. How hard are you going to work to actively fight Apple policies? Just the way the incentives line up, it ain't happening. You're not going to do that. You're not going to bite that hand.
1: I mean, is this surprising? This reminds me of way back in like 2012. I was all up on my soapbox about the just obvious bull of the app review editorial system at the time, where it's so weird that like when somebody leaves Apple on good terms, then turns indie, they seem to get featured and their apps seem really like weird. (laughs)
0: Yes, I remember that trend. Also, um, you know, people that are just sort of good boys and promote the App Store and the iPhone and maybe jump right on top of brand new features and blog about them and kind of help Apple advertise whatever Apple's focusing on. The good boys that figured that particular little trick out also got a lot of recognition in those early years in the App Store.
1: Yeah, it's uh, and now, of course, Apple's like you can pay us to be in a different place in the store. So You know, again, capitalism eats everything. Would you like your
0: results at the top of the search when somebody searches for your competitor's app? Just buy now. Yep, that's what it is now. And the search still sucks. Tailscale.com slash coder. Go there to get a free account for up to 20 devices, and it's a great way to support the show. Now, Tailscale is a zero-config VPN that you can get up and running on all of your devices in just Minutes. It makes traditional VPNs seem old and crusty. Tailscale lets you set up a mesh network between your devices using WireGuard's noise protocol. Mobile device, Linux device, Mac, Windows, VPS, it doesn't matter. And it's perfect for developers that need ad hoc networking and don't want to fuss with all of the complications of lots of firewalls and different subnets to deal with it because Tailscale will traverse NAT, it'll traverse multiple firewalls, carrier grade NAT when you're on mobile networks. I can attest to that. It is fantastic. And TailScale has a community event coming up there first. TailScale up in San Francisco on May 31st. Early bird tickets are still available. So if you go to TailScale.dev, you'll see information about that. But do me a favor, start at TailScale.com slash coder. An in-person conference covering a range of topics hosted by TailScale. That's going to be pure awesome. TailScale existing users. I am happy to announce that TailScale Funnel is now in beta. They've been testing this privately for quite a while, and it's fantastic to see it come out in public beta. Now, TailScale Funnel is a tool that lets you share a web server on your private TailScale network with the public internet. Now, why might you want to do that? I think this could be a fantastic way if you're testing something, an application you've been building that's behind your tailnet. you want to expose to the public for a bit so someone can test it for you or a client can take a look at it and review it. I mean, you can start to really kind of chew this around in your head and think about how powerful tailscale funnel might be i just absolutely love tailscale i use it on the daily i have it installed on all of my mobile devices and that's how i sync all of my private information back over my land and i don't have any inbound firewall ports for any application and i i hate to admit it i used to have several just to get things done that problem's been solved with tailscale it's so simple it's so straightforward and you can try it for free for up to 20 devices and support the show when you go to tailscale.com slash coder you're going to thank me for this one It's just so freaking great. Tailscale.com slash coder. All right, we knew we were going to see some useful tools come out of like the chat GPT era of infrastructure. But how about this one? Dr. GPT. It'll diagnose your software failures. Dr. GPT will start tailing your log file and you define uh, like things like a trigger to look for. Um, you can tell it uh, necessarily what it needs to or, or not look for, that kind of stuff. And uh, give it a directory, set it all up in a config YAML file, and then you fire up Dr. GPT, and it will monitor your log output and help you diagnose and debug problems in a useful way, supposedly. Um what is your reaction to this kind of thing? Like, is this the future? Is this how we'll use this kind of stuff is by having it parse stuff that the humans just can't be bothered to read on and check all the time.
1: I mean, it's not the worst idea, right? No. It, it seems very useful. <laughs> yeah. It depends on how good it is, right? I have not tried this one out, so I, I don't really know, but yeah, I could see that being like, you know, hook it up to Slack and send you a message. Hey, ding dong, you have uh, this obvious security error based on your log file or whatever.
0: Our buddy Alex on his YouTube channel has been uh, playing around with using ChatGPT to generate Ansible playbooks mm. and whatnot, and they're not perfect. But if you if you know what you're doing, and you think of it more as a template that needs to be checked, sort you know like paths need to be changed, you have to kind of go through it. If you think of it as a template generator, it's not it's not horrible in that way. Uh, I've been using it quite a bit. Not to not to like sound like I'm buying into the hype, but I've been using it for really simple, boring tasks. Yeah. That uh I don't really want to be bothered with. And it's great for that kind of stuff. Like taking um pulling out keywords out of an article or out of our show notes, uh, taking in a, a long, long like uh frickin' the CEO of JP Morgan, nice. Jamie Diamond, writes this annual letter. And it's so long and so long-winded. It's really tedious. And I threw that SOB into ChatGPT and had it pull out the individual pieces, and it was perfect, perfect for that kind of thing. So I've been using a uh, an app called Chatbot UI, and this is something you run on your own system through Docker, and you give it the open... AI API key that every account gets for free. You just have to go find it in your account settings. You put that API key in the chatbot UI app and you get access to more stuff than you do through the web interface. You get longer prompts, it'll follow URLs, you get access to ChatGPT 3.5 Turbo and eventually GPT-4. Um and you get your own you get your own conversation history that's private um, according to ChatGPT's terms of service. After 30 days, stuff that you transmit over the API is deleted and they don't use it for training. And then lastly, and the reason I really like it is it has a prompt library. So I can set up a series of short code prompts and as a pretty good editor, again, supports variables and things like that, actually. And you can go and just have a library of prompts that are listed down the left side or the right side of the UI. And you can do something like, you know, slash summarize. And it just types out my request to summarize an article into its keywords and things like that. And it makes it really quick if you do a lot of recurring chat GPT type functions. So it's chatbot UI. It's difficult to find, so I'll try to put a link in the notes if I can actually find my original link for it, because the name is so generic. But the breakthrough I had when using this thing, and I think Mike you already knew this, is using it via the API and stop using it via the web interface. Yep. Way better. Way more stuff faster um and like i said it doesn't keep your history as much and you know for me the ability to follow links and uh, take more larger chunks of text so i can summarize like a chapter of a book or something huge huge now remember the the results vary so you got to double check that ironically i don't think any of these tools are very good at are very good for people that are new to any of these subjects if you're not a topic expert you you can get bogus information and it can be small little details that gets wrong dates you know uh uh, uh, all kinds of weird things i've had just randomly wrong from time to time if you're asking it for information if you're getting it to summarize and whatnot it's usually pretty good at that but it's been it's been really really useful and i I don't know if people are integrating any of this with vs code but i'd be kind of curious if people want to reach out and tell us how they're using chat gpt because i'm pretty impressed and I'm going to be interested to mess around with the locally hosted stuff when that becomes available too.
1: Yep. I am hacking my little soul away on chat GPT, So
0: <laughs> It's a, it's a nice tool. I, you know, I, I don't want to oversell it, but it's, it's great for just, um, you know, if so I had, here's another example. Um, I was trying to workshop an episode title and so I told it, here's what I'm doing. Here's the context. My co-host is doing this. We've been covering this on the show. It's a podcast. And I want a title that's three words or so. And I I gave it the general thing that I wanted the title to imply. And I could just keep hitting that over and over and over again, like 12 times until it gave me what I want. And it never gets annoyed. And I can keep tweaking it. Oh, I don't really like that result. But maybe if we tried this. And I'm much better at knowing what I don't like than knowing what I do like. So if you present me something. I can tell you if I like it and I can tell you if I don't like it. And if I don't like it, I can tell you what would make it better. And so that kind of back and forth dialogue with a stupid computer is actually productive for me. And I'm able to kind of workshop different titles and different show descriptions with somebody who doesn't get bored with me, you know, being nitpicky. So it's useful in that regard too.
1: The robot overlords are coming. And now it is time for
0: And the revolution will be decentralized, so we'll fight. We will fight. Uh, (laughs) It probably is. It probably is. Split comes in with 19,084 sats. Mm, 1984 sats. Coming in hot with the boost. Regarding the Restrict Act, uh, East German Stasi's called it. uh, The DDR called, uh, called and they want their surveillance state back. Oh, burn. Uh, He goes on to say, funny how a dystopian society during the Cold War seems to be replicating itself with the Restrictor Act in a modern era. Goes on to say, with another 4510 sats, a government official being able to block any app on any app store without any judicial process seems like way too much power. Blocking anything, any tool? Reminds me of Fahrenheit 451. Taking copyright law into consideration, written software falls under the same regulation as literature. Thinking a little bit further... This could be turned into an app whitelist where citizens are no longer allowed to run non-government approved software. Let's hope it never gets to that, although I never thought it would get to this point. So now it actually doesn't even seem ridiculous that it could get that bad. Just in a quick follow-up to the Restrict Act. I don't know if you caught the story, Mike. It's just kind of percolating this morning as mainstream media comes to work, back to work. But it came out over the weekend, started I think on Friday, that A series of documents pertaining to the war in Ukraine have been leaked online. Mm, Yes. And uh, the line you'll see is uh, leaked on social media specifically. And the live stream and I watched a couple of news reports before we started the show today. And they're really focusing on how, you know, it's spreading virally on social media, which A is BS because it would have been sent to me. I mean, I get links to everything, that kind of stuff that's going around online. And if it's spreading all over social media, I would have gotten a link. I get mm-hmm. links all day to that kind of stuff. But second of all, like social media, it was discord. I guess that's social media. But why wouldn't you just say online? Like, it really feels to me uh, like this is landing right as the restrict act is fading, right as the restrict act is losing momentum. And it seems like maybe the Congress creators want to back off from something that's really bad branding. This story comes out. And I hate to fry the bacon like this, but this story comes out. And it sort of adds just a ton of momentum for the need to have a handle on information on social media. And it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a matter of national security. It's not even a matter of health or democracy, but it's national security, Mike.
1: Don't you think that's a little kind of convenient timing wise? Yeah, I mean, I think the reality is more stuff gets hacked and leaked. Although it's interesting, they haven't said hacked, right? They just said leaked. So that's also interesting.
0: Supposedly, it's a picture of a crinkled up document.
1: Oh, a pit. Yeah, that's right. So you know what they're saying? Everybody get your martini. It's James Bond time. It's the spooks. Spies are back. Yay. They were never <laughs> left. I mean, I don't know. Good times. Good times. Everybody's got a camera phone now. It's look at me. Camera phone. What is it? 1998. What am I doing? Hey,
0: man, that's I, I call my phone, my camera on accident all the time. All the time. Hey,
1: will you grab my camera? I mean, phone. <laughs> you know, the restrict act is just such a bad idea. I know it's embarrassing that I feel like even your most senile congressman yeah. or critter or lizard man is going to kind of balk, right? It's just it's Really bad. It's some serious China stuff, isn't it? In that somebody was super jelly of China and all the yeah. crap they control. Yeah, I guess. Sure. Yeah, it's
0: some firewall China stuff because it it prevents the use of VPNs to foreign resources and assets, which could be anything at any time. Um, it could be Tor. I mean, that basically means Tor is illegal to use. Like, it's pretty out there, man. And then to yeah. actually be able to restrict what apps can app can get published in an app store, and to control all general transactions for purposes that they have yet to determine seems pretty giant like draconian to me
1: and with no hearings and no appeals that's yeah that's great by
0: a secretary of Commerce that is in a political position to begin with it's bad bad
1: just became super powerful if they passed this right like overnight yeah all, you, you got to think all the other cabinet members are like what the hell bro what are you doing <laughs> I love that their office the secretary's
0: office released a statement in pro of the restrict act like oh really you're you're in pro of getting
1: a whole bunch of more power you like getting a <laughs> ton of power? Shocking.
0: (laughs) Purple Dog comes in with a thousand sats. Here in UK, they're pushing through the online safety bill. It requires service providers to monitor all communications in the name of safety. And effectively makes end-to-end encryption illegal. WhatsApp has already said they plan to pull out of the UK if this passes. I totally agree that decentralization is the way forward. What a nightmare. I, You know, like, uh, this show and the Jupiter Broadcasting Network we don't really talk about stuff that is like politically dangerous but if they tried to outlaw the use of end-to-end encryption in the united states it would change on that day like i would take a strong stance against that i have 3 children i absolutely want them to be safe and the way that happens is by giving them true genuine safety online it's it's an interesting thing that happened recently i talked about it in this week's linux unplugged i started using an app called simple x it is a Chat app that claims to be like the utmost insecure because there's no user identity, there's no central login server, it doesn't need a phone number, there's no email address required. You exchange basically like the equivalent of an SSH key with somebody. And you can do that through an existing medium, or you can do that through QR codes in person. And everybody that I have this with currently, with the exception of one person, I've done it through QR codes in person, face to face. It's using some advanced like signal encryption, it's really good stuff. And I've had this weird change in like what I say on there. I'm all of a sudden, I'm not saying anything that would actually even get me in trouble, but I just, I didn't even realize I was filtering what I was putting into apps like Telegram and other places. But I was, I like it, it. I didn't even realize I was limiting myself and holding myself back until I was in an app where I was feeling like hundred percent sure that it was safe. Hmm. And then all of a sudden, like, like a burden was lifted. And I was just more genuine and I was, I don't know, it was a really interesting experience and I realized my whole life I've been using communication mediums that can be monitored and I have just developed a way of communicating in the background. I have have the knowledge that I'm being monitored or could be potentially and it does alter what I can and do say and it's happened for so long, I don't even realize I'm doing it anymore. They've trained me into it. And when I started using a different app that doesn't have that, I started realizing the training was there. And so if you if you if you take that and you apply to all of our communications and all of our financial transactions, that's a scary culture to live in.
1: Yeah. I mean, the other thing is, it's funny, at least in American law, we have the concept of spousal privilege, right? The reason for that is they want you to be able to trust your spouse. Uh, Imagine if every one of every spouse everywhere in the world, regardless of status, divorce status, you know, orientation, whatever, could just be like actually everything's being recorded here. It goes to the FBI or let's be honest because the FBI, sorry guys, you guys really, you guys are losing on this one. The secretary, il secretary de commerce.
0: Right. Well, and then beyond that, in a few years, they'll just have a natural language model that can look at this thing and they'll just say, show us everybody in this area that talks about this. I mean, not to really go deep on this, but um, it just, it just through a, through a freedom of information request, We just got the results back that on the FBI's extremist language list, the term based is considered an extremist term. Um, Red pill is an extremist term. A lot of the things people just say casually online now are extremist communication. Now, why does that matter? It matters because monitoring extremist communication is the only justification they need to start watching people's speech. So. I, if you if you have red pill and based, which are very common terms now, um, as flag words that are quote on the, according to the FBI on the violent extremism list, they can use that as a standing justification to begin to monitor anything they have access to. Now, is that justifiable? Maybe, but it seems like it's a goalpost that's constantly moving. If red pill and being based. Are now, and there was more. There's, there's other words, too. Those are just the ones that stood out to me this morning as I read the headline. It was unbelievable. It's basically slang. Basic Internet slang is getting is getting labeled as extreme speech. And so that opens up a slippery slope where you can monitor just about anybody for any reason if you have the technological means.
1: Yeah, well, and it's, it's also going to have weird political ramifications because, you know, when we flip back to a more, let's say, right leaning conservative administration. They're going to add some stuff to that list, too. Right. And it's going to it's it's just not a good idea.
0: The Golden Dragon comes in with the last tweet on this subject. A row of ducks. The degree to which Congress is giving an unelected official seems very 1984, extremely authoritarian. The Restrict Act is just absurd. Why can't we just choose to lose privacy or not use an app? We used to be a nation. That's true. You could just choose not to use TikTok. That's what I've done. Yeah, <laughs> I mean. I'm fine. I'll tell you, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> um, Root is good, or is God comes in with fifty-one thousand two hundred cents? I hoard that which all kind covet. I'm a little disappointed in the celebrations for the five hundredth episode. We all know progr- a programming show should celebrate episode five twelve. Very true. Oh. Thank you for the five hundred
1: twelve cents. That, that was pretty good.
0: Hal was right. Comes in with fire says talking about bitcoin and gamer radio it reminds me some people think that bitcoin is a game such as john carvel he says bitcoin is not money it's a game maybe it'll just be a very popular fun game which everyone wants to play and how i propose to you maybe all of life is a game and how you choose to play it and look at the game makes all the difference ooh ooh very philosophical i like it ooh i know sometimes i get that way sometimes uh, Dave Jones, the Pod Sage, comes in with two thousand one hundred and twelve sats, Pew! Uh, and just sends a little bit of love, letting us know he is inst- indeed still out there. Thank you, Dave. It's nice to know you're still listening. Johnny Mac comes in with one thousand one hundred sats. Pew! I just got a Mac Mini M2 Pro after seven years of Windows hell, and I noticed that the Docker support has added Rosetta two to enable x eighty six workloads. Ah, oh, that is, I you know what I missed that last week. Sounds like it's time for me to give Docker Desktop a go again. I tried it uh, when the M1, you know, when I first got my hands on the M1. was a little underwhelmed, but it has been, God, it must have been a year or more now. So I'll have to give that a go. Thanks, Johnny Mac. That's great to know. I'd like to know also how you're enjoying the experience and what's not working for you. Because I have to imagine after seven years of Windows, there's got to be some workflow changes that are a little bumpy, but there also has to be some stuff where you're like, oh my God, this is so much better. We've all been there. DPG comes in with 1,600 sats. Hey, Chris and Mike, I'm boosting to comment on Elan's handling of Twitter. I'm not personally on Twitter. However, I follow a bunch of communities that use it heavily. While I have seen many users leave for greener pastures, it seems most Twitter whales are begrudgingly handing over the monthly payment. A lot of the hubbub has been getting rid of non-paying users as well as the recent API changes destroying third-party sources that were monetizing data without a cut to Twitter. I'm not counting Twitter out just yet, and I could see this playing working out in the long run either way i'm enjoying a more vibrant fediverse i was enjoying them labeling npr as uh sponsored state media
1: i bet you were very excited about that here's the thing uh
0: this is not a political uh matter for me um as somebody who is in podcasting and sells ads i am frustrated that npr plays like um both sides they they they're ask they're constantly asking for money and doing pledge drives and their model really forces their substations to beg and suffer and they're also doing like 60 million dollar ad deals with squarespace and the other podcast advertisers that are super common and they're kind of still unable to make it work and i i find that just gross and infuriating that they get to walk both like we're public radio and we take funds from the government. And we're also brought to you by Squarespace. And it's like just completely gross. That's my thing. And so to watch them be taken down a peg and have to like shut down a bunch of their podcasts that they've spun up recently wow. was a little schadenfreude for me. I have to say,
1: <laughs> I and don't want anybody to lose their job. PBS, but,
0: you know, I, but <clears throat> having worked in the industry for a while and, worked for companies that were producing content specific to their companies. I felt for a while that a lot of these companies that have gotten into content
1: creation in the last few years should not have. Yeah. 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 I just want to say, I feel like anybody who ever thought they wanted a Casper mattress or a Squarespace website, <laughs> you
0: know about it at this point,
1: probably has one. Right. I just, <laughs> like there was a two year period where every single podcast, my feeling was like having trouble sleeping. I'm like, you're not going to pitch it. God damn it. It's Casper again. Like, yeah, how, how many mattresses did they sell? They must have sold a ton. You're going to see, you're, what you're going to see is, it's already happening, but you're
0: going to just see podcasters really just start reinvesting in their membership programs again. Because it's, you know, when the times are tough, it's like the shows that have member support and boosts, I think are going to be the shows that make it and the ones that don't won't. And uh, these commercial outfits are just not really set up for that kind of sustainability model. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, DBG continued with a row of ducks uh, most because I asked about I asked specifically about this most food in Pittsburgh is known as Eastern European Ah, most mm. more specifically maybe Polish there's uh, a it was a pregio's or a delicacy here and probably said it,
1: it wrong. Yeah. Pierogies. Thank you. Yeah. Jak się Polska. Yeah.
0: As well as chipped ham. Uh, it's used in ham barbecue. Think like cheap deli meat, onions and barbecue sauce. So I swear it's good. Actually, it sounds good to me. I don't know. Mike's a little hammed out. Versus but... like I'm on the next plane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. You're making me, you know what? It's working. It's working. Now I want to go. Uh, Okay. Rounding it out. Mere mortals comes in with a row of ducks. As long as people aren't allowing AI anywhere near nuke systems, I think I can sleep pretty safe at night. Although the book command and control by Eric Schultzler is a, or Schultzler is a pretty, is pretty great. If you want a laugh or get depressed about the shoddy management of us nukes by humans, maybe it's an even bet actually. You know, I've I've heard some of those stories from the command and control uh, book. I've heard about like a fully loaded nuke getting dropped out of a plane and actually hitting the ground. But it just happened not to go off. Uh, There was also a situation where some Russian monitoring equipment failed or something like that or some other event made it appear that multiple U.S. missiles were inbound and they were on they were understanding orders to retaliate even if they couldn't contact command and control. Right. But the technicians there just for some reason, I can't, I don't remember the details, but just didn't believe the data and decided not to launch a retaliation strike. And obviously that was a good thing because it was not an actual, that strike. was the correct choice. Yes. But it, there was, there's a couple times where it comes down to like a couple of people made the right call even though they weren't supposed to make that call and saved our bacon. Uh, It's pretty wild. You'd never think we actually got that close, but indeed. Uh, And last, but absolutely not least, is a row of ducks by D.D. Smith. Here's a fun nugget. Python is actually named after Monty Python, but I still call it a snake. And uh, he links us to uh, why is Python called Python in the Python docs. Well, how about that? Well, look at that. I mean, I always think of it as a snake, but... um, yeah, I guess that. I, yeah, the developer was reading the Monty, Monty Python's Flying Circus, a BBC comedy series from the 1970s, and they thought the name was short, unique, and slightly mysterious. So he decided to call the language Python. <laughs> That's pretty great. That's pretty great. Uh, I want to wrap up too by thanking everybody who boosted in. If you'd like to send a boost into the show and support our ongoing shows. You can do that by getting a new podcast app if you want to try the podcasting 2.0 revolution at newpodcastapps.com or keep your podcast app. Just get Albi. Get com. You top that off either directly or through something like the Cash app. And then you head over to the podcast index, look up Coder Radio. We'll put a link in the notes and you can boost us right from their webpage. I see this getting really common on Linux Unplugged, but uh, the Coder Radio audience, I'm seeing a lot of boost from Fountain these days. It might be because... Fountain's pretty easy to find new stuff. It's got a great social aspect to it if you want to participate in that. And it, the big one, it streams you sats as you listen, which then uh, generates you the sats to boost back in. That's kind of nice. You can find that at fountain.fm. And also want to thank the boosters and the emailers who said to check out Andor. I really enjoyed it. I wrapped it up recently, and uh, I thought it was great. I thought Andor Season 1, I guess it was, is great. So I just started Mandor. I'm pretty hyped in the Star Wars universe right now. I'm really, I'm really into it at the moment. Uh, I I I didn't really watch any of the new movies. Mm. I've heard resounding hate for them. However, after watching Andor and starting to watch Mandor, <laughs> kind of makes me want to watch Rogue One at least. I have to say, but nice, yeah, it's been fun. It's been it's been a nice treat as a Star Trek guy. I've really kind of enjoyed a diversion to Star Wars land. So thank you everybody who recommended it. Thank you to our members who support the show and keep us going. It has been a busy tricky quarter and it's only getting trickier and i think one of the things that makes me sleep at night is knowing that we have members out there that can invest in the ongoing production of the show coderqa.co if you'd like to join us over there you get an ad-free version of the show as a thank you and maybe one day like a special holiday version i don't know we're kicking around some ideas for the holidays for our guests too so stay tuned coderqa.co for that Is there anywhere you want to send the good people, Mr. Dominic, before we get out
1: of here? I just go to alice.dev for some automation goodness.
0: I like it. I like it. Nice. You can find the show on the Twitter if you do that, at Radio Show. You can watch us live on Mondays if you want to participate in the live chat and get the show early in the week. It's over at jupiter.tube at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. You can get that converted to your local time at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. We love your emails, coder.show slash contact. Send them in. And links to what we talked about today, coder.show slash 513. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of Coder Radio. And we'll see you right back here next week.